Hey, glad you can make it. And welcome to the Employee Cycle Podcast, where we talk to HR innovators, thought leaders, and even some disruptors about the latest in HR trends, HR tech, and you guessed it, HR data. Well, you've heard enough of me talking. Now let's start the show, 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 show. Hey, hey, welcome back to the Employee Cycle Podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Marable, CEO of Employee Cycle. And you know us, we're that HR dashboard company helping all of you HR and people leaders get rid of that manual, time-consuming process called HR reporting. That's right. We know when you want to pull together a data-driven view of your workforce, you're typically logging into a bunch of different systems, pulling spreadsheets, and always trying to figure out why is there not a better way to do this? Well, look no further because that's why Employee Cycle has created your very own HR dashboard with pre-built integrations to the most popular HR systems out there. So that if you're using systems like Bamboo HR, namely ADP, Trinet, Velocity, Greenhouse, Lever, 15.5 Jazz, you name it, you can just connect those systems to the dashboard, pull all your data into one place so that you and your HR team and company can view, share, track, and analyze all your HR metrics from one real-time view. Go to EmployeeCycle.com, get a demo, check it out. We would love to explore how we could partner with you to help automate your HR reporting and analytics process. But that's enough about me and our company, because today we have a great guest. So please help me welcome to the show, Wei Vong, the HR Director at Colony to the Colony Display. In the, and today, we're going to discuss how to know if and when employees should be promoted. Wei, welcome to the podcast. Welcome! I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to have you on the show, Way. So, in order to get started, Way, we're going to ask you the question we always love to ask to kick this thing off, which is, how did you end up in the wonderful world of HR? Oh, gosh. Um, In the wonderful world of HR, I think that it happened um, 20 years ago, to date myself, um, coming out of college, getting my first job, and getting a taste of the business world and really rising pretty quickly in the ranks at my first company. And when you are doing well in your job, what typically happens is they want you to teach other people to do as well as what you're doing. Thus, my entry into a learning and development type role. And that just kind of domino affected into an HR manager role 20 years later. Awesome. So, Wei, today we're talking about how to know if and when employees should be promoted. And it was important for us to throw in the if and when, because just because you want some employees to be promoted, that doesn't necessarily mean they're ready or that they actually want to be promoted. And so I would love to kick this off by digging into what you're currently going through today and what you're thinking about around this topic. So in today's market, I think that, you know, we have specifically at my company, we have a pretty young workforce. Um, And I'm not saying that majority of it is young. We have a good mix of different generations. But you think about a company that's rising, right, which which we hope Colony Display will be one of those companies and the workforce that exists and how to take that current workforce of folks that have been with the company for, you know, 10 plus years, for example, compared to the folks that have been with the company less than 10 years, in which some of them say, you know, it's been 10 years. I want to grow. I see the direction of this company growing. I want to grow with it. Then you've got the younger generation who says, you know, I've, I've, I've just started with this company and I want to be able to grow within the next 10 years, right, depending on their scale of growth. So I look at my workforce and I think to myself, okay, I've got a sales group, obviously they're revenue drivers, and then I've got 
um, the non-sales team who goes out and they're supporting our sales. They're kind of, they're operational. When I think about my sales growth, which is obviously helping drive the success of the business, we have our top sales performers. We have our B, those are our A players. We have our B players. And then we have our C players who, of course, they're either going to weed themselves out or they'll work themselves back into the system. I've always been on the mindset of your A players aren't always going to be your best leaders. I mean, they're the ones who are kind of going out. They know the business. They are probably making way more money selling than they would ever make leading a team, especially if you've got a company who's got unlimited um, money that the salesperson can make depending on how much they sell. Typically, I've seen in historically, your top salespeople aren't going to always make your best leaders because again, their job is to go out and hunt and try to get a new business. Your B players are typically, they're still able to perform, but they're also able to manage multiple functions of the business. Maybe they're helping somebody else. Maybe they know how to do the work, but they're also helping develop develop newer people that are coming on board, newer salespeople, um, or they're helping other operational support people get caught up. Those are typically what I have found to be the most successful next level leaders in a company, especially in a sales dynamic business growth. So when you're talking about your operational side, you're typically going to run into somebody who, you know, they're self-motivated. They've got a drive to succeed. And you've got to you got to be able to delineate between the difference between somebody who's looking for the next title in order to get the, the next big thing or somebody who's looking for a stable environment to stay with the company and grow with the company. When you were just talking about B players being the most likely to be great leaders, is this along the lines of following the old adage that those that can't do teach? Or is this different where those who will manage the team still need to be able to do some level of execution in this area? I think it's a combination of both, right? I mean, there's no way that if you, it, you, you only got so many hours in a work week, in a work day, and you've got folks who they're just really good at, like I said, staying in front of the game, getting in front of those customers, selling whatever product or um, idea that needs to be sold. They're, you're, you're players that aren't, you're always your number one. They're maybe your number two, number three, or number four top salesperson. They are typically juggling multiple things. They're able to inspire. They're able to lead and motivate and work collaboratively. By no means am I saying your A players can't do those things. But the proportion of doing those administrative tasks, I, in my opinion, in my theory, is going to be not as heavy as somebody who is going to be able to do, is going to be your second or third top player or performer um, who can manage both things. In the way that you were just segmenting those tiers, is there room for a C player to exist at all? I mean, my in my 20 years, I, I will honestly say I'm pretty direct. I very rarely have seen a C player move along into that next level. It's It happens. Of course, there's always going to be that one goat, right? That's going to be able to make that difference. They're going to find somebody who's going to inspire them and move them along. But typically, when you're thinking about your A, B, and C players, your C players are going to either they're really going to either have to hone in and step up and get, you know, get on bat and hit that ball out of the park, or they got to find something different. And, it, and just because they're not selling at one company doesn't mean they can't sell at another company. That just might not be their niche. They might do a better job selling another product than whatever product they're selling at their current company. I know we put the emphasis on these tiers in regards to the sales function, but do you think these 
tiers and these segments that you've listed of A, B, and C players typically exist in other roles too? And if so, do you think you would look at them the same way as you would look as a as you would look at a role that's so easy to to track in regards to metrics? No, I don't think that you could categorize all roles as an A, B, and C player. Um, I think that the A, B, and C player is more of a metric driven where you can actually measure somebody's performance. Um, so somebody that's maybe doing something that's more, you know, project management um, or administrative, that is more, that's the kind of role that you either, you either can do it or you can't. I don't feel that there is an A, B, or C player in those in those categories because you can either organize schedules or you can't. You can either produce those widgets or you can't. Um, I think that there is a little bit of a different area when you're talking about roles that actually have um, tiered goals or performance goals where they're actually producing, um, you know, quote unquote widgets in the workforce, in the company. When you're hiring or recruiting for new talent, are you always looking for people that want to get promoted and have the ambition to move through the company? Or do you actually have to recruit for some people that won't necessarily want to move up because there's only but so many management, director, executive roles, and the higher you go up, the less opportunity there is. And if everyone wants to be at those certain levels, then clearly you'll have a lot of turnover because the only way for them to get that role is to leave the company. So is there some intentionality of hiring some people that you believe will be super ambitious that will want and need to really be those leaders, but then a lot of other people who are super content and happy with being individual contributors? You know what? I will tell you that if you are an employer and you intentionally are looking to hire somebody who wants to give you that answer of you're either gonna, you want to grow with the company or not, I think that you're setting yourself up for some level of failure. Um, it, it, and maybe it's not a dramatic level because I'm not, a, I'm not the kind of person who likes to go in something making such bold statements. But I think that when you're hiring somebody, my model is always I'm, I'm going to hire somebody typically that has will over skill right? You have the will to do a good job. You have the will to succeed in the role that you're doing. I can generally teach you the skill. Um, we're, we're more inclined at Colony to say, you know what, you might not know the ins and outs of what we do or what we need you to do, but if you have the will um, and the, the drive to learn it, we will invest in you. Once we get that part of it down, carve that part of it into the, into the, into the company, then we can have those conversations of, well, is this what you want to do the rest of your life? Do you want to do more? And I'll tell you one thing, as an organization, um, we definitely don't invest in people with the expectation that they return that investment to us long term because it's not realistic. To me, it's, it's honestly not realistic in companies that promote that. I think they will end up setting themselves for a lot of failure and disappointment. We're in the, I'm in the mindset of when we're hiring people, I want them to come in and do the best job they can do when they're doing the job, right? And if they have a desire to grow, I'm either going to prepare them for an opportunity within our company, should that arise, or I'm going to arm them with the tools and let them find that somewhere else. And I'm perfectly okay with that because this is this is a very normal thing. And it would be really selfish of me to invest in somebody, expect them to pay it back to some degree with us. Again, I just expect them to do the best job they can do 
with our company while they're with us, but I would never expect them to stay with us for the long haul. And I am of the, I am of the uh, theory that not everybody is needs to have the aspiration to move up, right? For so long, we've had this narrative of pushing post-primary school, going to college. Everybody's got to go to college. What are you going to do when you go to college? And we did that for so long that I feel like we put a lot of people into these high expectations that truth is some people just want, you know, they're better at being skilled laborers or they're better at owning their own business. College might not be, maybe they want to be a mechanic. Maybe they, you know, want to um, be a carpenter and that's okay. I, I, I feel like we are missing the mark when we're trying to put everybody in the same round peg. Um, I, I don't believe that we need to, in, you know, enforce people to move up in every organization. You just said it perfectly. It's just not realistic. I'm so glad that you shared that. And we're so candid with your thoughts around that topic and concept, because I wholeheartedly agree with that. But I am pretty fascinated about this will versus skill model that you've implemented at your company. So can you give me an example of a role where you can definitely hire will versus skill? Yes. But but then as I'm listening to you talk, I know there's HR leaders that are going to be listening to this interview thinking, but I'm a tech company or I am in biotech or I am working at a law firm and you just need to have these skills. So then can you also give me an example of a role at your company where you absolutely need the skill and there's no way doesn't really matter how much will you have. Thanks. Yeah, 100%. So we, we have engineers at our company who design furniture, fixtures, whatever our customers need. So yes, there are certain roles. Like I, I probably wouldn't, somebody came to me and said, I want to be your, you know, your general practitioner doctor. I have the will to do it, but I don't have the education. <laughs> I would decline that appointment. Um, so yes, there are certain roles, but here's, here's the thing. I want to go back to thinking about what's happening in this market right now with hiring people. We're we're in unusual times right now where, um, you know, with with the theories about the stimulus checks and people not wanting to go back to work, et cetera, we're running into a deficit in regards to hiring qualified candidates. Well, we got to get creative, right? So I'm, I'm a mother of two and I, I live for my children. I definitely come into work every day motivated and passionate about what I do as a result of being able to provide for my family. And as a result of that, outside of work, I'm a part of a lot of mom groups, right? Um, parent networks. And you hear on those networks all the time about parents, single parents, especially women who are, maybe they're recently divorced. They were their primary caregiver at home. And now they're running into a situation where maybe the marriage isn't working out and they've got to get out in the world and make it on their own and try to take care of their families. Well, guess what? I have reached out to a lot of those people that I know who I know are hard workers who have the drive. They've, they've been able to successfully run their home family life. And now they're looking for the ability to bring you know money in to support their children. Okay. So we have some customer service roles where we have the opportunity to take a look at some single parents who, you know, maybe don't, they didn't have a college degree. They, you know, completed high school, they met somebody and started a family and they've been a stay-at-home parent, but now they're on their own. And I reached out to them and I said, Hey, uh, I think there might be an opportunity for you to come work for us. I've got, um, a, I've got a customer service role for you. It is heavy, you know, working with Microsoft office office applications like Excel and, you know, I'm willing to invest in you. I'm willing to pay for some workshops or do my own training with you to get you up and running 
and help you succeed in um, the role you can have with us. Well, guess what? This person came on board, didn't have one lick of experience in Microsoft Office, especially um, in Excel. I spent time with this person, another one of our top performing customer service reps. So what they do is they basically take orders from our customers that our salespeople sell, communicate with our shipping department for those orders, make sure that the project is being made, working with our engineering department, and they make sure that the project goes out. There's a huge gap, a huge opportunity in the workforce to reach out to those single parents who are looking for an opportunity to come back into the workforce to provide for their families. Now, you might be asking yourself, okay, well, the common complaint you hear from those parents is, I have to choose between taking care of my children to be able to afford daycare or go to work. And oftentimes, they can't afford both, right? They end up not making enough money to afford to go to work and pay for daycare for their children. Well, one of the things that I'm in discussion with with my company and my CEO and my CFO is um, dependent care matching to help offset the cost of care for single parents in order to be able to get them into the workforce to be able to earn a living, take care of their family, and not worry about care for their children. Now you're into a situation where you've got some loyalty from folks, um, you've got an untapped market of talent out there, and you've got you know workers who really appreciate the opportunity you're giving them in addition to a benefit that you're not likely going to see in very many other companies. Because let's be honest, everybody for a long time have been complaining about the cost of care for um, children. And we know that the likelihood of the federal government coming in and stepping in and subsidizing some of that for those parents is it's not going to happen or it's not going to be happening for a long time. The companies need to step in and help their families afford care so that they can have those workers. Wow. I am speechless and really inspired by the type of work that you're doing around there. That's such awesome work. And I think I'm going to have to have you back on our podcast to have an interview just about that. Yep. I mean, there's a lot of opportunity there to even, I'm working with other leadership development companies um, long-term to try to draft together programs to reinsert single parents back into the workforce and help them help them be able to provide for their families and not have to worry about choosing between caring for their children and um, caring for themselves in the workforce. Wow. And whatever work you've done or anything you have online, we're definitely going to share that because that's just such an important cause that all companies in the country and in the world really need to step up on. But wait, I want to ask you one last question. You said that you mentioned your kids and your family really driving you I'm curious, just from an HR standpoint, what drives you to want to do this type of work? Because you seem like a very candid, authentic, and passionate person. And so your energy is coming through. Like I'm not in the same room as you, but I feel the energy and the passion while you're talking, which is making me so happy. So I would love for you to share, why do you do this work? And what... What's the or what's the personal ROI that you get from doing this work, which may inspire other people who are listening to this podcast to either get into HR or for people who are already in HR to become even more true to themselves about why they're doing the work in the first place? Sure. So I um I have been fortunate enough to be surrounded by um people in my life who have been just tremendous influences, um, really great mentors to me. And I believe I felt early on that I had these, you know, high level, you know, C-level type leaders take me in under their wing in my early 20s. 
inspire me to succeed, motivate me to push myself and challenge myself to succeed. And it was as a result of them believing in me that I always said to myself that I was going to pay it forward. I was going to do whatever it was going to take to get myself into a role that could influence change, that could um, develop people, that could guide and navigate organizations into um, territories that were going to make them profitable, um, help their employees find their way, and guide the companies into a direction that you know would continuously grow the business. This is just, honestly, it really comes down to if you want to be in HR, you, I, I honestly feel that you have to be able to put people first. The people and the company have to come first. And you have to realize that whatever decisions that you make don't just affect the person that's sitting you know, in the cube down the street or at home behind their computer. It also affects the mouths that they feed at home and those mouths and everything that's around them and the communities. It's bigger than the person that's on payroll. And that's that to me is what drives me to think about the people first and making sure that, you know, that old adage that says leaders eat last, your people should go first. It's just always been a part of me. Wait, thank you so much for being such an awesome podcast guest. And because this is your very first podcast ever, I really appreciate you trusting me and helping you make your global podcast debut into the podcast sphere. So really appreciate you being such an authentic and candid guest. Really appreciated this opportunity to pull all the amazing things that you're thinking about and working on into this interview and share it with the HR community. So thank you. So wait, where can people find you and Colony Display online? Um, So the website is www.colonydisplay.com. You can go into that website. You can see all the really amazing things that we're doing as a company. And you can even look on there for some of the career opportunities to join our company. We are a national, we're, we're national. I mean, we have people working all over the U.S., out into Hawaii and Alaska. We're, we're moving into Canada as well. So if anybody's looking for growth and an opportunity to work closely with myself and my other leaders, we'd really welcome you. Awesome. And we'll be sure to include all that information in the show notes. So for everyone listening out there, if you enjoyed this episode as much as Wei and I did making it, then please leave us five-star rating on iTunes and pop in a comment about what was your favorite part of the interview. Also, if this is your very first Employee Cycle interview that you're listening to, but now you're hungry for more episodes, then please subscribe to the Employee Cycle podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all other major podcast platforms. And last but not least, all of you super awesome HR and people leaders out there, Please continue to hire, train, and retain the best workforce possible. Thanks. Later, kids.